to Been Thinking About You, the show where I reconnect with those in my past who are doing cool things. Today we are joined by Will Murphy, a very dear friend of mine who I met when we lived in Australia in 7th grade. They are a musical prodigy who can sing, play a multitude of instruments, and most notably compose classical compositions, and has studied both Berklee College of Music Conservatory and the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. They are also the composer of, for the original play, Radium Girls. Will, thank you so much for coming on the show! Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course! One thing I want to start off is I don't know too much about your life before I met you when you were still living in Australia. So I was wondering, could you talk a bit more about that and your upbringing before seventh grade? Sure. So before seventh grade, as you're aware, Redlands has both a junior and a high school. But I only joined Redlands Junior School in fourth grade. Before that, I was going to a public school known as Camaray Public School, which was only K through six. But I moved out of that due to some personal issues that were coming up and also just academically it wasn't challenging enough and yeah then came through the Redlands. Outside of schooling things a lot of what I was doing before seventh grade was relating actually more to being a video editor than a music composer surprisingly. I was a big fan of short films and spent a lot of time on the iMovie app that came out on the iPhone or was it the iPod Touch? One of the two. Back when it was very very early and the cameras were not very good on any of their devices. And so if you don't mind me asking, what personal issues was it that caused you to move? There was a decent amount of bullying that was going on in the school at the time and for me personally growing up as the nerdier kid, spent more of my time in a library than I would ever spend it out playing sports or anything like that. It made me a little bit of a target, especially in a public school that was rather known for their physical activities and it very much had a culture of if you were not a heavy sports person then you were made a target by the rest of your grades. So I moved out of it to Redlands because Redlands had more of a focus on holistic approach to education and it had a very strong stance on the anti-bullying policies and it wanted to make sure that it was favoring students who were seeking out to be academically or artistically driven as opposed to kids who came to school for the sake of going to school and then excelled in physical activities. Earlier you mentioned how you used to be into more video editing. Do you have any favorite short films that really got you with that bug? A lot of the ones that Pixar pushes out, just the 10-minute shorts that they do before their feature film, those have always been really creative to me. Other ones, I've been following a production company that's on YouTube called Omelette lately. They're an independent publishing company, to my knowledge. I haven't done too much research into them, but they seem to be just an independent publishing company that puts out and promotes a whole bunch of indie short films. One of the ones that I watched recently, rather coincidentally actually, was about a kid who was being bullied and then through all of that found that he had superpowers and that was kind of the theme of the short film, which was interesting to me. So as I mentioned earlier, you began playing music from a very young age, so when did you catch the music bug and made you want to switch from being less focused on video editing and more towards music? I've always been very focused on being a musical person. I have played piano for 14 years now and trombone for 10 and 
I've just been piling on collections of musical instruments. But I think it was actually around seventh grade, maybe the transition between year six to year seven, or how Australians and Europeans refer to it. Year six and year seven here it would be sixth grade and seventh grade. But the transition period between those two years and Redlands had a very wide scope focus on their music department, especially for music classes. So a lot of what they were getting students to do was separating out into three classes where one was music performance, one was music theory, and then one was music composition. And that music composition class was one of the things which pushed me to start writing compositions more regularly. And I think that is the place where I can say, yeah, I'm a music student. Because before that point, I was in a whole bunch of the school bands and I was in the school choir, but I was doing that more just as a recreational thing. It was only when I started really focusing in on the composition side of things that I was like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and has been the determining factor of why I've continued to write music recently. If you had to pick between piano and trombone, which would you say is your favorite and why? Piano, without a doubt. Trombone has always got a special playlist in my heart and I'm auditioning for colleges right now on the instrument, but piano, I would definitely say, holds a strongest spot in my heart, mainly just because of the versatility of the instrument and the fact that because I've been playing it for so long, I can just go up to the piano and I can trust myself to be able to put my hand down on the keys and come up with something just off the top of my head. It doesn't necessarily have to sound good, but I can always come up with something original. I like the freedom that piano provides. Going back to a bit when you mentioned earlier how you're currently going through a college auditioning process, how is that going? And for viewers at home who may not be familiar with how it's like to apply for colleges when you're going for a music scholarship or something, what's that process like? A lot of my focus as a music student, especially because I'm applying specifically to conservatory programs, which allow me to solely focus on music for the next four years. A lot of what I'm doing is that I'm presenting myself as a composer first and a performer second. Depending on what other people are doing, there'll be performance as their first thing. But because I'm applying to composition majors, the first thing that the schools are asking for for me is they want to see a portfolio of my works. And along with the regular side of applications of like, what's your name? Where do you live? Give us an essay of why you want to go to the school. Along with that, a lot of my schools will have been requiring me to submit between two to five of my original compositions and pretty much every school is asked them. They have to focus on a broad range of instruments to show that I'm not just writing for a singular instrument or that they want to see different kinds of styles of music, which that's all well. I've got that in my wheelhouse. But for anyone else who is planning on being a composer, I would recommend writing a whole bunch of different stuff as early as possible and make sure that you have uh, a wide array of styles of music that you've written and write for different instruments and make sure that if you're not churning them out on a regular basis, at least churn out good ones like every half year or so. That's where I'm sitting. In terms of the other things regarding composition, the application for the composition program, the first round of it was the application where it's the application on the portfolio that I just mentioned. The next side of things, which I'm only now just starting to get into in the next two months, 
is that I have to go and I have to do either interviews at schools or I need to do auditions. And the audition process is along the lines of, I'll speak for my top choice school currently because they've got the most well-defined audition process. We have to come in, we have to have five minutes of various material prepared on our instrument of choice. The five minutes could be one song, it could be five one-minute songs. Theoretically, it could be 10 30-second songs, although I wouldn't know why anyone would do that. But then after those five minutes, we have another 45 minutes, half of which I believe is meant to be the person who is auditioning you will give you a bunch of impromptu exercises just to show you've prepared this stuff in your instrument, but what can you do on the fly? And then the other half of that audition is an interview just so that they can get a little more of what goes on inside your head as a composer, as a performer, as just a musically inclined person in general. Although the majority of my schools, however, aren't doing a comprehensive process like that. For the majority of them, I'm just doing interviews because as a composition student, I don't necessarily have to go in on an instrument. It's just for my top choice school that they want everyone to come in on an instrument. But there's, I believe, three of my schools, including my top choice school, which have you audition either on an instrument of your choice or they want to see specifically that you know how to play piano just because those programs are focused more heavily on how you can translate your ideas into a digital workspace. So they want to see that you have competency at playing piano because it's the most common instrument used to digitally interface just because it's, again, very versatile and it's not as finicky and keyboards generally have a much easier time interfacing with MIDI controllers and with MIDI information. I remember, like, I think it was around 2014, I'm not sure if you still have it, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you had an original YouTube channel where you would upload original stuff from mashups and nightcore to, again, original music, but not yet in the classical direction you're doing now. We'll get to what's on your current website in a bit, but are there any notable differences between creating music for YouTube versus your own original website? Yeah, I'm surprised that you remember that stuff. I'd forgotten about it until you mentioned that. No, so a lot of the music that I was creating back in 2014, I hadn't written myself because around that time I was realizing that I wanted to focus in on doing music but I had no clue what direction I wanted to take. So at the time, a lot of what I was focusing on was electronic music, which is very different to the classical world, which I'm, I would say, more involved in now, although I've started to pick up the electronic side of things more recently, but that's a separate conversation. But no, back in 2014, a lot of the stuff that was up on my YouTube channel, which has since been deleted, was focusing on DJing and on mashups of songs, just because that at the time was a way for me to explore how I can arrange music. So instead of starting off writing my own stuff, I started off messing with things that people had already made and making it in the way that I heard it in my head, if that makes sense. Because a lot of my experience as a creative musician is that the way that I listen to music is that I can switch between, okay, I'm enjoying the song for what it is, or okay, I like this song, how could I make this my own thing? And I picked up that skill through what I was doing back in 2014 with arranging other people's pieces and creating mashups 
just through free DJing software that I found online. I think if I'm remembering correctly, the software was called Virtual DJ. And also out of curiosity, why was your account deleted? Were you copyright striked or did you decide to delete on your own terms? No, I deleted it more on my own terms just because there was only really one video on there which I was really proud of. And I was definitely copyright striked a lot more in the beginning than I was towards the end of when I was making those videos. And that in and of itself actually helped teach me the ways that I needed to manipulate the music that I was putting up on my channel to be able to say, okay, this is something that someone else has already created but it's far enough away from it that I have made it my own thing. So that would typically just involve key shifting, tempo changing, and then changing around various elements of the songs on the rare occasions that I could find stems for them. But no, the taking down of it was more to do with, I think, two videos on that channel at the time that I was really proud of and liked to claim as my own, and the rest of them were really mediocre. I left all of those up, I think, for about a year after I stopped making them because I didn't bother. And then after that year and further training in the musical world, I came back and I listened to them and my immediate gut reaction was, oh God, this is all awful. So I took it down at that point and have not touched it since. I think I still have all of the original video files on my old, old computer, but I haven't looked at them in years. And they actually might still be on the account, just privatized. I forget if I privated them or if I fully deleted them. I'll have to go back and check at some point. And what were the videos that you were the most proud of and why? One of them was, well, actually, both of them were 30-minute DJing sets that I did with royalty-free music that I hand-selected and spent probably a good week on each of those videos at the time just planning out okay, when do I want this song to play? What kind of changes do I want to make to it to adjust the sound? What live effects do I want to put onto this clip as it's playing through to adjust it and change it in certain ways? Because DJing is a very weird experience sometimes in that regard. But I think those two I was just the most proud of mainly because of the time and effort that went into them. And only the first one actually sounded really good, but I was proud of both of them just because of how much effort I put into the creation of those two videos. Even though it was thinking back on it, it was mainly just me hitting a space bar at a very specific time and adjusting the high pass filter every so often because I couldn't figure out how to use any of the other effects on Virtual DJ because I was using just a mouse at the time and it was all on my computer. I didn't have an actual turntable set up so there's only so much you can do with one point of clicking. So yeah, it was not very technically complex in terms of what professional DJs do, but I was just proud of it because of the time and the energy that went into creating and editing the video, making it look semi-interesting for just being a recording of my computer screen and of the audio running through my computer. And speaking of DJing, and this is a really good subway, you had your own radio show back in Redlands. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes, I did. And now the tables have turned. So The tables have turned. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the viewers a bit more about what this radio show entails and also what happened to it after 2014? The radio show was something that I pitched 
to one of the guys in our tech department at the time because I started doing sound engineering at the church that I was going to when I was growing up probably about four years prior to that point, 2010, that's about right. I'd started learning sound engineering there and I would pick that up and that would kind of be my way to get through church because I'm not a very religious person. So I would instead find enjoyment in the three hours that I was there on Sunday doing the mixing for the live band and for slightly messing with the parish as he was giving his speeches, which I'm... <laughs> I don't think I've ever mentioned that to anyone before, but it's fine. Uh, I never messed with it in a bad way. I just messed around with the audio enough that me and my brother could snicker in the back of the room without disturbing what he was saying. But around that time, I hadn't gone to church for like two years, and I was thinking, hey, the campus is really kind of dull during lunchtime, because aside from like hanging out with friends and such, people don't really do anything. So instead, I pitched doing a small radio show to, or not even a radio show, it was literally just a setup of, I would set myself up in one of the music room classrooms with a microphone, a tiny little four-channel mixer, my iPhone, and two speakers that went outside into the giant grass area outside of the music building. And I would sit there and I would do a fake little radio show. Eh, not fake, it still technically counts, but I would do a small radio show for whoever was sitting nearby at the time. And I really enjoyed that for the four times I did it because so many people kept on barging into the room and requested me to play songs, which I had gotten explicitly told that I was not allowed to play on the school campus because it's a school they've still got to have restrictions on you know swearing vulgar content in songs and so people were coming in and they were trying to grab hold of the microphone and my phone to try and say vulgar content to the entirety of campus and to change the playlist that i put together for those lunch times and so after four tries at that I just decided, yeah, you know, it's more hassle than it's worth because people don't respect the idea that I attempted to create. So lunches went back to being normal or normal in regards to everyone else's conception of what was going on at the time. But no, I think I put like a solid two months into actually pitching the ideas of the school and then for it to be gone in a month. I think mainly the teachers who had actually really gotten involved in the project were disappointed, but they respected my decision because I think only one of them was ever in the room with me through the entirety of lunch just so that they could make sure that I wasn't going to mess up their equipment. But when they started seeing the mess that it was becoming whenever I was trying to host it, that was our collective reasoning to go, yeah, no, this isn't worth it. <laughs> and some viewers may be wondering right now, how did these two meet? We met at Musical Theater Club, which if you know Will, yeah. it's not surprising. But if you know me, it might be surprising, depending on who you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's a two oh, God. That's a two there type of theater of kids. Us. Yeah, there were four of us. It was you, me, Ben, and Mackenzie because she needed an art credit. <laughs> oh, that class was hilarious. And then I was the only one that stuck to the, through to the next year because you had to leave because mm -hmm. you went to Singapore. But then Ben and Mackenzie, well, Mackenzie dropped because she was never continuing on planning it. I don't know why Ben did. I don't know why Ben dropped it. But I was the only one who continued on for the next two and a half years that I was still in Australia. Were there any other members who joined? 
Yeah. When we moved up a grade, there were a whole bunch of people who joined who had just come into the high school. And that was very interesting because then it was a year where we also swapped out our teacher. God, I'm forgetting the names of the two teachers, but the teacher who we had in year seven was replaced by the teacher who I had in year eight because she could no longer do that day specifically, if I'm remembering correctly. And so instead, the two teachers swapped their classes because that worked out time-wise for them. So it was weird. I was the only one who kept going through with the class out of everyone who was in that tiny little room underneath the auditorium. Oh, goodness. That was... It was good times. It was good times. It was just a very weird experience. And then I kept doing that for the next two and a half years before I came here to the States. And then only just now in this semester am I starting to get back into musical theater performance because this is the first semester I've had the time to do so. (laughs) And so a bit more of time about musicals. How did you get introduced to musical theater overall? My mother, very definitively. She's an actor professionally in the musical theater world. I don't know how far this audience spans, but if you go and look up Groundhog Day, the musical on Wikipedia, you will see that my mother is listed as the cast for the most recent showing of it because this is the first time it is open that this show has been produced since it was on Broadway. So she has now got her own little place on the Wikipedia for Groundhog Day the Musical, which is still very surreal. Yeah, like once you have a Wikipedia page, you made it, no question. (laughs) That is, yeah, I mean, because honestly, people write off Wikipedia a lot, but no, the community that goes into creating those articles are very meticulous, as I have recently started finding in my research. And there's a reason why they are as credible as they are. And honestly, every teacher who's ever said to me that we were not supposed to use Wikipedia because we couldn't trust it, complete liars. (laughs) They were telling us that to make things harder on us. (laughs) And so what would you say are your favorite things about musicals or the theater community just in general? Oh, that's... Hmm. I would say that my favorite thing would have to be the amount of effort that goes into the production of musicals. Because for the last three and a half years that I've been here in the States now, I haven't been totally out of the musical theater world. I just instead went to the backstage side of things because that fit in my schedule a lot better than having to stay at school every evening until 6.30. Instead, it was only Tuesdays and Wednesdays that I was there until 6.30, and that worked out really nice, and it meant that I got a whole bunch of art credits, so I was technically done with my arts credits in my freshman year, which was surprising, but not really, because I was also doing orchestra. Regardless, having now been both on the performing side and the production side, I just admire the amount of effort and time and energy that goes into making a musical into the two and a half hours that people are going to come and see when we show them. I don't have the correlation in my head anymore of how audience members can come and be like, oh, this was a pleasant two and a half hours. That looked really neat. But then because I've been behind it so much, when I go out and see something like Hamilton, which I went and saw two years ago, my brain immediately went to after I saw that 
Jesus, they must have spent literally three months putting that set together and it would have been a team of 30 or so odd people. And my brain just starts working out all of those different perspectives of how they could pull off certain things, what technology they were using. And yeah, I admire musicals just for that spark that they have, the energy and everything that goes into it. So many people don't realize and I could go on for hours about it. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say you have a favorite musical or a musical performer? I don't think so, no. It's less because of the reasoning of every musical is great. There are definitely some out there which I don't particularly enjoy. But no, I don't think I have a favorite. I mean, if I was going to pick one, I would argue that Team Star Kids, my favorite group to create musicals, just because I honestly prefer the idea of small companies writing and producing their own musicals completely from scratch rather than giant production companies pulling together some IP which already existed. Do you have a favorite Star Kid musical? Yes. My favorite Star Kid musical would either be Firebringer or shoot, what's the name of it? Is it Twisted Oregon Trail? Guy who doesn't Twisted, like musical? That, Twisted. Okay. Twi Twisted. I blanked on the name for a second. No. Twisted or Firebringer would be my answers for the two. Firebringer mainly just because it's got a decently interesting plot that the music is phenomenal when viewed on its own and then Twisted is a great example of everything that is good with parody theater. Let's talk a bit more right now about your composition. So overall, could you take me through a step-by-step -step into how you plan each one and you carry it out? On the planning side of things, there's very few compositions that I've actually gone into with a step-by-step -step plan of how I want something to sound. Mainly, I just have an idea in my head of, oh, this could be an interesting idea or an interesting theme to get across. For instance, the piece that I'm working on right now, which is due to be submitted tomorrow, actually, the 11th of January for people who are listening after the fact, the concept for that one was I wanted to play with this idea of a sweet voice and a chaotic voice. And it's a piece that I'm writing for flute and piano, and I'm giving flute all of these really nice melodic lines and messing around with very much more of a romantic style of music. And then piano, I'm giving a lot of the chaotic stuff because the pianist who I'm working with is a very classically trained pianist. So I'm giving him a lot of jazzy sounding stuff, but I'm having to write it out in a classical format for him. So it's been a really good exercise for me in terms of how specific I'm having to get with writing this piece. But typically, I'll start with that idea of clarity and chaos. And then the way that I write it is I'll go down, I will typically sit at the piano, and then just with one hand playing only a note at a time, I try to come up with a very basic thematic idea. Or I guess, yeah, you could consider it a light motif. I try to write or improvise a light motif sitting down at a piano, and I'll sit there for an hour or two until I get something. And then once I have that, that'll be the first thing that I write down on my piece of paper. From having that light motif, I will then focus a lot more heavily on the different ways that I can play with this light motif and how it will fit into this idea as a whole. So then I go from a one to two bar light motif and I make that into a 16 bar phrase. I turn that 16 bar phrase into a contrasting second 16 bar phrase. 
And then I just keep building from that point and writing in a linear fashion, trying to fit an arc of some kind. And in the case of some of my pieces, the intention has just been to leave that arc incomplete. And sometimes that is just the idea that I'm trying to get across in and of itself. So yeah, my process to then simplify that is start with something basic, build it linearly around the original idea that I had come up with before I'd even sat down at a piano. And in general too, how do you go about naming your compositions? Since I've seen a couple on your website and they've got a lot of cool names. I'm curious what goes into them. <laughs> a lot of the names for my pieces have come either out of playing off of the name of the assignment that I've been given to write them under, or they've been loosely based off of the idea which I came into writing them with. For instance, one of my pieces is titled Springtime for the Snowflake, and the name was a play off the exercise that we were writing it for, which was, it was supposed to be a response to Chopin, and I'm forgetting the title off the top of my head, but one of his pieces about snow or winter specifically, and I do not enjoy listening to Chopin or writing in the style of Chopin. So instead, I decided to take the opposite direction to the prompt that most people were going with, because the only things that we were told to do with the exercise was listen to this piece and now write something either in response to or an interpretation of this. So I was like, okay, my response is going to be, I don't like this. And that is how I came up with the piece. So then because the piece was about snow, I decided to focus on, well, what is it like when the snow is melting? And what does the snowflake feel when winter warms up? And that's how the title for Springtime for the Snowflake came, just because I was angry at Chopin. <laughs> and so what would you say is overall your favorite but least favorite parts about the composition process overall? Favorite part would be probably starting out composition, just because there's so much possibility to what I can do. And going into a piece, I will never know the direction that I'm going to take, even with the first four measures before I sit down and write the first four measures. So I really enjoy that kind of rush of adrenaline and endorphins that I get when I first sit down to write something and I'm thinking, yes, I really like this idea and this concept that I have in my head. Okay, I'm going to write this. And then my least favorite part is actually having to write that out further than that beginning idea. That middle section there where I'm just completely unsure of everything that I'm writing for a piece until I start seeing how my brain is interpreting the flow of it. Yeah, no. That and sometimes naming the pieces because for some of the pieces that I've written, the name has been the most difficult thing about it because especially with the first piece that I ever decided to publish, I went through probably 17 or 18 different names for the piece that I was legitimately considering. And I had 17 copies of the music, all with the different titles. And I would play through each of the sheet music looking at it as though it were not my piece at all and trying to imagine, okay, I'm a person coming to sit down and looking for a piece to play. What would be the name that draws me most to a piece? And that was one of the most painstaking and frustrating processes that I've ever gone through to date in writing music. Now let's talk a bit more about what you've accomplished at the Conservatory at Berkeley and also the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. 
So overall, could you compare and contrast your two experiences at both those institutions, be it like how you found out about the program, your experience or favorite memories, and your biggest takeaway and learning moment? With Boston Conservatory, or as you refer to them, Berkeley, I've experienced them solely as a summer program, and I've gone back there twice now, and I absolutely love them. I've never gone to a place which has asked me to write three pieces within the course of two weeks. It was something that I was totally unfamiliar with before I went there, and the first time I went, it was something that I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to live up to, that I was going to come out of the week, and I would have three compositions, but they were going to mean nothing to me because I was just going to hate them. And then the end of those two weeks, or not even the end, but like the end of the first week, having written two compositions and had them performed and recorded by professionals the first time that I went, I was so amazed at the fact that I was able to do what they were going to get everyone to do. And it was both that initial surprise and relief of like, okay, I can actually do this quicker than I thought that I was able to before and with a lot more confidence than I normally would. And that realization was something that's just stuck with me. And they've changed the way that I approach my creative process because when they only give you a day or two to write a piece, you've got to go through your ideas extremely quickly. So it was an approach to my my creative process, which I had never considered before that point. And then the next week went fine with the one with the one piece that we had to write in three days, and then it had a day to polish if we needed to before that was live streamed to a whole bunch of people. And I was happy with the piece that I wrote that year, but then next year when I came back, or this last summer, I came in, I was fully aware that I was able to complete these things, so I came in with a confidence which I hadn't had the first time, and that only impacted improve all of the pieces that I wrote. And so I went into my second week on my third piece and my decision was, okay, I'm going to attempt to do what I did last time, but I'm going to just improve on the ideas that I did because the piece was the first time that I'd ever worked with picture music and aleatoric music. So a lot of the complaints that not my performers and not anyone who was at the camp, but a lot of the people who listened to the live stream after the fact was that it was too detached from Western culture. So I took that as a challenge going back to see how I could change what I was doing and take this idea which I had and bring it a little further back from as far as I took it the first year, but then also just to make that idea longer and to give my players more material to work with. So in the end, in comparison to the first time I went back doing the string quartet and having the picture music and aleatoric stuff in the music, all of that two-minute piece for the first time I was there fit on a singular page of music. Then the next time that I went back this last summer, I wrote six pages of music, and I think it, the performance ended up being just shy of four minutes, if memory serves. I'm forgetting, but I made it longer. I gave it more depth. I brought more to the table in that one. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't come in with the knowledge of I can write this quickly and I can get this produced in a speedy but 
also well-crafted manner. And then with San Francisco Conservatory, those haven't been summer programs. Those have been pre-college programs or specifically electives that I've taken there because the full pre-college program was too performance-heavy for me. So we just decided that it would be best to go and take the composition classes there. And having that opportunity to sit down with a teacher who specializes in composition for an hour and a half every week has just massively improved the way that I not only approach the way that I write music, but the way that I focus on parts of my creative process. And my teachers definitely have me approach my music from, we understand why you did this thing to sound the way it did. Why did you do this thing due to the theory side of things? Which has been a lifesaver in keeping me up with my music theory because I haven't had the time to focus on it outside of compositional standpoint. But it also has just provided me with so much more insight into the different ways that myself and my classmates write music and where we draw our different inspirations and how even just the slight difference in the music that we listened to while growing up has completely changed the ways that we approach writing pieces and approach harmony and melody and even the simple matter of 12-tone equal temperament. Not all of my classmates approach music in that way because they have been raised on non-Western music traditionally and have only started getting into the Western world of music more recently. So it's interesting to see how that change changes the ways that we all approach our creative processes and how we deal with certain issues in the music that we write. Say, if something that we're hearing inside our head while we're writing doesn't necessarily translate correctly onto the page. Now I want to talk to you a bit more about Radium Girls, which is the play that I mentioned in your intro. Could you talk to me a bit more about how did you get involved in composing the play? I went into the beginning of this year trying to do as many creative projects as I possibly could because I needed to flesh out my portfolio for colleges a little bit more. I didn't end up submitting any of the music for Radium Girls to colleges, though, but it's something that I'm going to bring up in my interviews with places, and I've already done an interview I've been to. But I came into this year forcing myself to try and take on as many creative projects as I possibly could, mostly because I wanted to, A, build out my portfolio, but B, I also just wanted to draw myself away from academics all of this year. So I have an independent study that's been going on the entirety of this year where I've been writing music for my school's orchestra and my school's choir. But then this project popped up because we were sitting through a table read of the show when we had like our first weeks of doing our drama tech class. I was just thinking the entire time, I can hear where there are certain spots that require music in my head as we're reading through this. And it was just an idea that stuck with me until we got around to doing the specific tech meetings, by which I mean like we had a sound specific meeting and we all had a white specific meeting and I'm head of sound this year so I had a lot more freedom to suggest my ideas so I came into my sound meeting and I expressed to tech director Charles and uh, director Molly, hey I can hear where there's music in this and I'm going to point them out to you and I want you to tell me if you think it's a bad idea for me to write a soundtrack to this or at least a couple tracks that we can just use throughout it. And we went through the feed spotting session for all of our sound effects and I started bringing up the points where I could hear music to our director and her exact words to me were, 
I don't normally think in the world of music, and I prefer to not score something when I haven't been given the music for a show, but I can see where you're coming from. I want you to go away for the next week, write me a pitch of a couple of the music scenes that you're thinking of, come back and we'll see if it fits. And so uh, I went away, I wrote, I think, two pieces, not even completely fleshed out, but just two 16-bar pieces with the basic ideas that I wanted to build the show off of. And I came back to that next meeting with her, and I sat down and I said, okay, here's what I had so far. And she and our technical director just said, yeah, go with it. So we went through the rest of the script. We spotted the other places that music was going to be necessary. And then I went away, and I spent more time in text this semester actually writing the pieces that I did with the building side of things or with sound design elements. And that became my role for the show was that I was composing the soundtrack unofficially to this show, which we had licensed just for the performances that we had. And I haven't actually reached out to the original writer of the show to be like, hey, I created a soundtrack to your thing for a school project. Would you like to maybe hear it? And I have been intending to do that for a while, but I am honestly a little too nervous to... But no, so it was just a matter of that I put forward just this small idea that was nagging the back of my head and managed to convince our technical director and our director that this was something that they should legitimately consider. And I personally think that it improved the show. And I've heard nothing but compliments from other people. So I'm assuming that other people believe that as well. For viewers at home, could you tell people what Radium Girls is about? It's a dramatization of a legitimate situation that happens regarding the radium factories back in New Jersey and New York back in the late 1920s to 1940s. And the sicknesses that specifically these female painters were getting from the radium-infused paint that they had been using to paint watch style for the soldiers in World War One, so that they could read the time at night and that they didn't have to rely on candles or torches that would give away their positions. So the story focuses on what happens during the legal battles that these women pursued against the companies that they were working for because they knew that the paint was harmful since it killed off the first of their employees. But they tried so hard to keep it all a secret that it spiraled into this massive legal battle. And the show is a dramatization from the perspective of a girl named Grace, who was the face of the majority of the Radium Girls movement. I'm forgetting Grace's last name, but she was a real figure and she was the public face for a lot of the lawsuits that were going through at the time. And the play follows her experiences through the legal battles, through a home life, and through all of the turmoil that was created for her simply because she was just working and people were attempting to exploit her even though they knew that they were killing their employees. So yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a fun show. A very lighthearted show. So earlier you went very in-depth as to how the composition process is for you and all about naming the pieces and whatnot. Could you describe the experience of taking that process but collaborating it into feeder environments so that it better fits the show and working with a director and whatnot? It was very similar to me as to how film scoring works 
in this case, mainly just because I was working with material that was already written. The process of creating this music was more about me and the director and the technical director of the show all being on the same page in terms of what we were trying to convey through the music. So the majority of the music is written based off of textual evidence and what the actors were specifically doing on stage, which was a long process of me having to go in on extra days when the performers were rehearsing and I was having to sit there just either getting ideas for the kind of music that I'd write or I was going in literally with the music that I'd written so that I could sit next to the director with the piano that's in our auditorium and just quietly playing along to whatever they were doing up on stage to make sure that the music was working. It was a very cool experience because there's so much more that could potentially go wrong when you're working with a live performance as opposed to clip a film or a video. So the process was very much of that I was making my own interpretations and I was having to run them through our director and our technical director and getting them approved. So they were giving me a lot of freedom in terms of how I was writing it until there was something that didn't work with the show that they were trying to create. And in those cases, whenever they told me that something wasn't working, they were pretty much always right. There's still one or two places where I personally believe that they should have listened to me. But instead of going with what they did, because they changed it last minute anyway, that's just my own personal being missed about the situation. But <laughs> no, so... It was very much a focus on, I'm not writing this music based on my interpretation solely. It's a very different experience writing music very specifically to please someone else than it is writing music because you have an idea and you want to create it. Of all your compositions in general that you've composed so far, which would you say is your favorite and or the one you are most proud of and why? The one that I am most proud of would have to be Vox Nihilis. I was making mention to it before. It was the last piece that I wrote the last time I went back to the Boston Conservatory Summer Program. It's a string quartet piece, which is, I think, to date, the longest piece of music I've ever written. That's probably going to change with this one because the one that I'm about to send off to the performance tomorrow because that's looking like it's going to be a four and a half minute long piece. But no, the name of it is Vox Nihilis or the translation of that being the voice from nothing. And the idea was a similar thing of I wanted to explain musically how my composition process starts. And so the focus of the piece is very much of I'm starting with purely chaotic noise and then I'm drawing out small little thematic ideas from it. It's the first piece that I've ever written which is not strictly adhering to a classical style aside from the one beforehand, but that one in and of itself can still technically be considered more classical just because it's focusing only on the idea that the noise and the extended techniques are the focus of the piece and those are the themes. Whereas this one was very much of, I have noise consistently happening all the time, but I'm drawing out different random elements from it and nothing ever completely sticks. 
And that was until it gets to the end of the piece. And the piece overall was meant to be a demonstration of how my creative process works in that it's the same as how I typically start off writing is that I've just got an overwhelming amount of ideas in my head and I'm trying to nitpick them to find which ones work. It's a very meta piece in that regard as I'm writing a piece of music about the process of writing music, which is very, <laughs> it's weird when I explain it out loud. <laughs> Now I want to talk to you a bit more about your website. It has all your music published on it, from Rocks and Hills, as you mentioned earlier, to even the Radium Girls soundtrack. So what inspired you to publish your pieces online? It was mainly just out of a want of getting my music more accessible to people because before that point, it was a matter of people coming up to me after I played something on a piano for them and being like, hey, that was really good. Is there any chance I can listen to this after the fact? And having to turn around to them and say, nope, because it's not anywhere. And that just got frustrating to have to keep doing to people. So instead, I just decided, you know what, screw this. All of the piano pieces that I've written before this point, I'm just going to sit down and record them. Or the ones that I want to publish, I'm going to sit down and record, and I'm going to put those up on my website. And so I had, I think, four pieces up on there when I first made it. And that was right before I went to Boston Conservatory for the first summer program. And then when I was there, all of the pieces that I wrote when I was there got recorded and sent back to us in the time that we were there. So I got immediate access to those, and as soon as I had access to all three of them, I published that as an EP on the website, and then I just continued to release my music whenever I've gotten around to writing something, and I've published that up on there, and I now make sure that it's a force of habit that I'm recording anything that I want to be publicly known underneath my name, and making sure that it's up on the website as soon as possible. And, you know, it gets like, unless I'm doing a whole bunch of self-advertising for it and I'm putting myself out through school or on social media, it typically garners like four views for every new song, which it's not much, but it's something. For anyone who's wanting to get into composition or into music in any fashion, Start recording yourself. Just whenever you've got something polished that you feel like you'd be comfortable releasing onto your name, that is my tip for you. Record it and upload it as soon as you can because even that small little following of people is going to be incredibly supportive and they're going to want to keep seeing more of what you do. And honestly, it's a very good feeling just to know that people want to continue to see what I am able to do. And also that there are people who are willing to go out of their way to go and check a very shoddily put together Wix website every so often just to see if there's any new material out there, which is... You know, that's a very comforting feeling to me. And then that's been spiraled out to putting my music out on SoundCloud and onto Bandcamp and then hopefully at some point in the future getting it onto Spotify, but that's a whole different process. And it's just for the matter of that I want the people who want to hear my music to have a way that they can be able to listen to it. All right, well, as much as I've been enjoying talking to you, unfortunately, we are nearly out of time. So really quickly, I got two more questions for you. The first one is, you've mentioned in your website blog that in the future you'd like to pursue music professionally. What does it mean to you to be a music professional? And where can people find your music? 
Honestly, to me, that just means that I want to keep doing what I'm doing currently, but to be able to make a living off of it and to be able to support myself first just with whatever I'm able to create and whatever I'm able to put out into the world and hopefully do something good with any attention that I garner. You can find my music if you look up Merth Illyria on any webpage. There should be a Wix site that comes up first and then private Instagram, but I don't have any music stuff up on there. The Wix site, the full title of it is mallyria.wixsite.com slash Illyria. And Illyria is spelled E-L-Y-R-I-A. So M-E-L-Y-R-I-A.wixsite.com slash Illyria. All right, everybody, that's all the time we have for today. Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. Go check out their music if you've been intrigued by what you've heard so far. They are incredibly talented. I highly encourage you to check it out. That's been Thinking About You Guys. Take care and tune in next time. (laughs) 